0: Thank you. Well, thank you to all of you. Um, I can honestly say I love pastoring this church. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the reason that's important is that I have friends who are pastors who, I, 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 who can't say that. Um, pastoring is not easy. It's, uh, it's definitely a call And I know when Megan and I responded to the call to come to Glendora, there was a lot of, (gasps) what's this going to be like? Um, And it's been good. It's been difficult at times, and there's been a lot of things that the Lord has led us through. But at this moment in time, and really over the last couple of years, I've just thanked the Lord for the opportunity to shepherd such an amazing group of people. And so uh, we receive... Your love, we receive. Your prayer, we receive. This gift with thankful uh, and overflowing hearts. Thank you uh, to Tom and Deb and Monica and Russ, and then Abby. Pastor Abby is. I think she's with kids today. So our our some of our pastors are actually out serving right now in children's ministries. Um, Would you Would you do me a favor, though? Would you make sure to give them a hug? Uh, before you leave today, just inundate them with just love, and, uh, um, and I'll be so thankful for that. I want to jump into our message here in just a minute, but um, this is an important week week for our nation, uh, and for the last couple of years and even beyond that, uh, there's been a lot of preparation and a lot of talk and a lot of emotion that have really come to a point that will culminate this Tuesday with our national election, and uh, I love this country. As, as many of you know, I came to this nation as an immigrant, um, and this year, uh, this Tuesday, will be the first time in my entire life that I get to vote in a presidential election, and uh, half-joking, a little while back, I thought, really, Lord? my whole life, and then this is what I get to participate in. And, um, <laughs> but, but here's the thing, and, and I laughed about it, and then I felt the Lord's rebuke, um, because the thing that I, I sensed the Lord saying to me was, do you think I'm not in control? Do you think I'm not in control? And so I want to, in a minute, we're going to pray for our nation, um, but I want to offer some encouragement. Uh, I've said before that something you'll never hear from this pulpit is a, this will never be a political platform. Um, see, I heard our district supervisor, uh, Pastor Fernando Castillo at Men's Retreat, say this, I'm a Christian American, not an American Christian. And that my allegiance to Christ and to his kingdom comes before everything else, which means that I understand that Jesus is still on the throne, Right? And kings and rulers and conquerors and emperors and presidents and political parties have come and go throughout history. And God has never been unseated from his rightful place of rule. And his word says that all authority is placed where it is by, by him. Now, you can remember for the early church, that was, that was a guy named Nero, who burned Christians alive, who was vicious and brutal against the church. God says, honor the authority. We stand in, in, on the precipice of a season that seems daunting. And yes, there will be challenges, but there have already been challenges, right? It's nothing new. What cannot be shaken is our faith and our trust in God. What cannot be shaken is the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. It cannot and must not be shaken. You see, because before I'm a Republican or a Democrat or a Libertarian or whatever, I'm a Christian. I'm a servant of the Most High God in that as I go to the polls and as you go to the polls on Tuesday, and please get out and vote, please get out and vote, don't just just dismiss and say because by the way we're not just voting for a president there's other important things that you need to be voting for and your voice needs to count and we can as Christians just take a back seat but as you do would you please not check your faith at the door would you make sure that between now and then you get on your knees and you cry out to the lord see the old testament second chronicles God says this to his people in the midst of a time when their land was broken, absolutely broken. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and repent, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. If my people. Church, it's a time and it's an opportunity for us as the bride of Christ, to get on our knees and humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and seek his wisdom for our nation, to pray for healing for our nation, and then to stand back and watch as God does the impossible. Amen? Let's stand together as we pray. Here's what I want us to do. Would you extend your hands As Jim said, there's a sign of blessing that comes when we extend our hands. It's it's the picture of Moses over the battle, sitting up on the hill, extending his hands over the army. And as his hands were extended, they experienced victory, right? And then his arms grew tired and Aaron and Hur came and they lifted up his arms so that he could keep experiencing that victory, God's calling us to a season as a church where we lift up our hands and we lift up the hands of those around us. But would you extend not just in this direction but to the north, the south, the east, and the west your hand of blessing of our nation. Father God, we come before you today and we humble ourselves before you. We ask for forgiveness on behalf of a nation Lord, that in so many ways has turned its back on you. God, we ask that your truth The truth of who you are. The truth of your kingdom. Lord, the salvation that's available through Jesus Christ. The conviction of sin that comes by the Holy Spirit would so flood and overwhelm our nation that hearts of men and women and children would turn back to you. We pray over our nation this week. We pray that there would be peace. Lord, no matter what the result in the election, Lord, that there would be peace. Lord, that those who would seek to stir up violence would be turned around. God, that we would stand as a nation, Lord, those things that make us who we are, the freedom, Lord, the freedom to vote, the freedom to choose, the freedom of speech, Lord, those things that are distinctive to our nation, Lord, would not be shattered and broken this week. Lord, we trust you. Lord, we ask as we go to the polls, as our nation goes to the polls, Lord, that we would put that trust in you, that we would not vote with our just with our heads, Father God, or our emotion, but, Lord, that by, in our spirit, Lord, that we would be knit together with you and that we would have discernment, Father God, from you in how we vote. Thank you, Lord, that the matters of our nation are of concern to you, that you're not a far-off and distant God, removed from the things that are happening, Lord, but that you're right here in the midst, and I pray that we would see your hand of blessing in Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. Please continue to pray. Please continue to lift up our nation to the Lord. Well, we are in the midst of a series called "Thrive Core Values," and we've been spending the last few weeks talking about the distinctives about this church family, who we are. We talked about our vision and our mission statement, um, and just as a refresher, I'm going to put these up on the screen. Um, Our vision, of course, is this, is to help people thrive in Christ. We're all about helping people thrive in Christ. And I can't say it enough. The key here is those two words right at the end, in Christ, in Christ. Because if I just wanted to help someone thrive, well, then it would just, they're not going to get very much out of me because I don't have a lot to offer. And quite frankly, neither do you. But in Christ, we have everything to offer. And so we help people thrive in Christ. Our mission, along with that then, is we help people thrive in Christ through this. By knowing, uh, we help people thrive in Christ by knowing God, growing as disciples, serving like Jesus, and going into all the world to reach others. And so our vision and our, our mission are what drive us forward. It's what keep us looking ahead and, 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 and the, the wheels of this church moving, as it were. But it's our values that determine how we do church. As Peter Schizero said in the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book and course, it's, it's the rule of life. It's how we do life together. And, and determining that up front is so important because if we have no rule of life, then we can do whatever And there's no way for us to inspect it and and really see how we're doing. So we've talked about our, our primary value was God first and is God first. God first in everything. The other, the next one is people matter. You matter. You matter to God and you matter to us. And we need to live in such a way that it's reflected in our behavior. People matter. We talked about love does. It's not just enough to talk about it. But we actually have to do something. That love is a verb, it's an action, and it has to be evidenced in our life. Pastor Deb preached on grace extended. That we extend grace, we believe the best in people. I think we have a hard time with that in the world today. We kind of assume the worst, that's our default setting. We're called to believe the best in people and extend grace. Last Sunday we talked about bring your best. Bring your best in worship. And serving and in giving, and today I want to talk about living in community. Live in community. By the way, if you've missed any of these messages, they're available uh, on our church website, ThriveGlendora.org, and you can listen to those. But I actually have to stop for a second. I just realized I wanted to. I wanted to mention something. Um, how about that World Series? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a baseball fan, like at all. Um, like, it's, it's fun, I like the snacks, um, but, but um, I actually got to go to a, a, a Rocky's uh, Padres game a number of years ago. I had a friend visiting from the UK, and he'd never been to a baseball, b- baseball game, so we're like, hey, let's go catch a baseball game. Now, we grew up in the land of cricket, which is infinitely more ex- uh, less exciting, rather, than, than baseball is. Um, and so I think I still have like these reverberations from cricket that just prevent me from enjoying baseball though. So we go to this game in San Diego, 22 innings, <laughs> 22 innings, 7th inning stretch, Fourteen inning stretch, 21st inning stretch, wow. I got enough baseball that night to last a lifetime, but Wednesday night, we were at youth group, and we knew the game was still going on, and so we got home. We don't have cable TV, so we went to Tom and Deb's house right next door, and we're like, and they weren't even watching the game. No, no, because there had been a rain delay, so you paused, and I'm like, it's back on. So, a uh, little recap for those who aren't baseball fans, uh, 10 innings, right? Seven, seventh game in the, in, in the series, so it went all seven games. 10 innings, 17-minute rain delay, and the Cubs won for the first time in 100 and eight years. And I thought, you know, and you're illustrating my point right there. Um, <laughs> I'm not a baseball fan, but this is history. And I was like, I can't miss that. I want to be able to say, I watched that on TV. Um, 108 years since the last time they won a World Series. 108 years. That's a long time. By the way, did you know there's 108 stitches on a baseball? <laughs> and interesting, I, I read that. It was a little fact. There's all you know, these little superstitious things now that are popping out. Of course, Back to the Future predicted it, but they were off by one year. Um, the gathering, the party that ensued in Chicago, the celebration is uh, said to be one of the top 10 largest gatherings of people in the history of the world in the history of the world. Think about this, that no one who attended the last World Series was alive for this one. No one. And by the way, um, the, the, the numbers, like it's fun, just go on, online and look up some of these numbers. I don't want to spend too much time. Some of the numbers, though, um, about like how many cars there were in the U.S. at that time, 8,000 automobiles in the entire nation. At that point in time, right? I mean, like, you start wrapping your head around how amazing it was. But you were looking at the TV and seeing these Cub fi- Cubs fans, the Cubbies fans. And you're seeing grown men weeping like babies, right? Crying like babies. People dancing in the street, right? People embracing and kissing and hugging. And, and here's the thing. It's just baseball, It's only a game. Now, I knew saying that, I might get in trouble with some of you. So just to be fair, I'll throw out some other names. Dodgers. Right? Angels. Lakers. Kings. Seahawks. Cowboys. USC. UCLA. Right? Just games. They're just games. Okay, to take it even a step further, not just about sports, there's movie fanatics, and I'm, I'm very obviously picking things I knew that people were excited about in our church. So things like Star Wars, yeah. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, yeah. Star Trek, yeah. right? Comic-Con, yeah. right? Or for the car lovers in the room, right now the SEMA show is going up in Vegas. It's amazing. Woohoo! I'll do it for me. Or the LA Auto Show. Here's the thing. We get excited about things and then we find other people that are excited about the same thing and then we do ridiculous, stupid things together. Yeah. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Right? Come on. If you ever watch the Green Bay game and you see that cheese head with he's like no shirt on and it's snowing and he's painted and you're like, that's a grown man. That guy gets to vote. <laughs> um, and this is all stuff that really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But there is something about community, about when we find something that we can rally around and get excited about together, right, and rivalry start, and we... We wear our gear and we proudly proclaim, I'm this or I'm that, right? We rush home from church to make sure we catch that game, right? Thank you for coming to church during the game. Thank you, Jesus, for TiVo or whatever DSR or whatever video recording app you use. Maybe you're just watching it on your phone. That's all good. (laughs) Community. Community is important, whether we realize it or not. And I think if you look around the world around us, right, we see the value. The Cubs understand the value of community. That's why so many of them showed up. Cubs fans flying in from around the world to be in Chicago when, when they were in, weren't even playing in Chicago, just to be there, just to be at Wrigley Field. To say, we, I was there. We're called to live in community. Living in community is one of our values as a church. I want to read the statement that goes along with this says this People thrive in community, not isolation. People thrive in community, not isolation. We are a faith community who care for each other in every season of life. We fight for unity and reconciliation. This is a value for us. And I've got to tell you, as I was praying through these, these were not just things that I thought, well, what do I value? What's important to me? And while that definitely had some import on it, I wanted to hear from God. Well, God, what's important to you? Because the things that are important to you should be important to us and should be values for us. I believe this is a value for the kingdom of God, and I want to unpack that a little bit this morning. We live... And community, I am convinced that strong churches are more focused on relationships than they are on programs. Strong, effective, healthy, growing churches are more focused on relationship than they are on program. Because community ultimately matters more than what we fill our calendar with. God's not going to ask you when you stand before his throne one day how busy you were. He's going to ask you about the relationships that you had with the people he brought into your life. I want you to open your Bibles to two passages, or two books rather. Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in Acts 2, Acts 4, and 1 Corinthians 12. Those are going to be our primary passages. I want to tell you right now, I've got a lot of passages that I want to share today because I want to illustrate how important this is to the heart of God. Um, And I'm going to spend a lot of time on the front end, kind of creating context. In fact, the first point, I have five points. My first point, I'm going to spend most of my time there, and then everything else will kind of spin off of that. So if you feel like I'm rushing at the end, I'm I'm not. Um, I intend to spend uh, quite a bit of time on the front end Uh, unpacking some of these things. And by the way, all of these verses uh, are available on the Bible app. If you have the version Bible app, you can pull up the events tab, and all of these these points and all of these passages are listed there. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, all context. This is after Jesus has ascended, gone back to heaven. The disciples and the apostles were in the upper room and were filled with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and then we know right after that, Peter gets up, and there's a crowd that gets attracted, and Peter gets up and preaches, and 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus on that day. And the church from that point just starts growing at a rate that no one could have ever imagined. So Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, gives us a glimpse into what was happening with this group of people who had just come together as the brand-new baby church. Of Jesus it says this and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and all came on every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common say in common with me in common, in common. and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all As they had need, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere and generous hearts. Sincere is another translation. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This new church, this brand new church, just exploded. And there was this excitement and this vitality about the church as they went from home to home and met together and submitted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And they would go to the temple because that's where you went to worship. And 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 there was a portion of the temple in Solomon's portico that they would gather together as believers. And and, and see so you gotta remember that they were Jews. These were all Jewish people. And so what had happened is the, 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 the belief system that they'd grown up in and the thing that they'd been taught to expect and anticipate had just happened. And so these people, along with their Jewish faith and the law and the temple worship, now had Jesus Christ added into the mix, and it fulfilled all of it. And they're just giddy about it. They're excited about what God is doing, and you can see in this passage uh, th- there's just like this, this vitality, there's this excitement. You can't read this passage in Scripture and go, "Yeah, that sounds interesting." You can see that there was just life just overflowing. And in, just in case you think it's an isolated case, flip over to Acts chapter 4: 32 through 37. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Let me just stop there for a second. Does that sound like America? Right? Our, our, our approach is this, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine. <laughs> right? Or what's mine is mine and what you have, I want that as well for myself. No one said that anything that he had belonged to himself, but they had everything in common. And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses uh, sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Now I want to read this last little part because we're going to talk about uh, Barnabas Rather, right at the end, he's going to be the last guy we talk about. It's a little bookend going on here. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostle Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And all throughout the book of Acts, we see this dynamic in the early church this excitement to be together, this commitment to to have everything in common and give as there was need. The key word here is the word fellowship or the word in common. They have the same root. But We know, if you've been around church for a while, you know that the word fellowship, the Greek word there is the word koinonia. Koinonia. The, The definition of which is this, it's fellowship, communion, sharing, and participation. Fellowship, communion, sharing, and participation, and even receiving communion today, today, that was koinonia. The reason we do it with our kids in the room, why we do Family Worship Sunday, is because our kids need to feel a part of that koinonia, a part of that fellowship, so that they're not spectators, so that they grow up knowing that they're an, an, an integral and important part of who we are as a church family. I want to shift gears a little bit. There's a couple of analogies or pictures that are used in Scripture to describe uh, the church. Um, in fact, the two most common are the vine and the branches, as we see in John 15, 5, um, and remaining, being grafted into this vine or into a tree, uh, this living uh, organism that is growing. And, and, you know, in the picture that even Paul uses in, the Ro- in Romans of uh, the Gentiles being grafted into a tree that, that was established when God called the Israelites. But the one I want to focus on today is the other common picture of the church, and it's that of the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 12 through 26. It's a, it's a fairly lengthy passage, but as I read through it, I thought, you know, there's nothing I want to leave out. Um, so let's just get the full picture of what God's heart here is for his church, and then I want to unpack some ideas that go along with it. So 1 Corinthians 12. My iPad's doing weird things. If the body were, I'm sorry. If the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? the famous pastor and theologian who said this, there is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. There is nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. See, the body functions better together. I'm so glad that every member and every part of my body showed up for work today right? How many of you got out of bed this morning and thanked Jesus for your toes? I've, I've used this analogy before, but it's a good one. How many of you thanked Jesus by show of hands? Anyone thanked Jesus for your toes this morning? You did? All right, way to go. It's not something we always do, but I tell you what, if you didn't have toes, you'd know it because you would fall flat on your face, right? Because your toes help you balance. But we don't go every day, Lord, I am so thankful for my toes. Those parts of the body that when they're not functioning, you ever been sitting somewhere and, 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 you know, crisscross applesauce, as kids like to say, right? I can't do that anymore because my legs fall asleep. And then I get up and I'm walking around funny and then my kids want to punch me in the leg because they think it's hilarious. (laughs) When a part of your body, when one of your members isn't working, the whole body is affected or that time you stubbed your little toe oh come on right every one of us has been there middle of the night or or the parents in the house right you're walking through the living room and you find that lego that didn't get picked up right (laughs) oh lord jesus and you pray for mercy so that you don't eliminate one of your children um we know what it's like when our body isn't functioning the way it's supposed to. The picture that Paul is painting here from the heart of God is this, that the body of Christ works better together than it does separate. In fact, it cannot function apart from each other. That we need each other to live in community and be in community. And, and really the key here is in verse 25, that, that there is no division, no division in the body, the unfortunate thing is that the church that I've grown up in, the church that you've grown up—not not this church, but the big C church—doesn't sound a whole like like First Corinthians twelve a lot of the time. And the thing that we hear from people is is this dispersion and casting arrows and throwing stones at people and those people in that church and those. And the things that come out of our mouths, I believe, break the heart of God because it's like ripping parts of the body up and saying, Yeah, oh, we don't need that anymore. God says there's no place. See, we've become used to living in proximity, not in community. I believe the church is more comfortable living in proximity. We're okay sitting in the same row with someone. Maybe learning their name. Maybe talking with each other once or twice a year at the church picnic. And then that's about it. That's called proximity. And it is a cheap imitation for community. See, Paul's point here is not simply that we should be around each other. Community is not being around each other. Remember the the Green Bay fan or the Cubs fan? Right? Right? Man, we're wearing the same colors. We're painting our faces together. There is, and I am, I'm cheering with people. Maybe I've met for the first time in my life, but because of this affinity, our hearts are knit together. I can, I can celebrate with you. We've mistaken proximity for community, and I believe that the Lord wants to bring that back in our lives. So what does living in community look like at Thrive Church? What does this look like practically us. So there's some points I want to make. First is this, fighting to be together. Fighting to be together. That statement might sound like uh, a contradiction, but I'm going to explain it a little bit. See, I mentioned it's not just about hanging out. Community is not just about hanging out once or twice a week or a month. It's not just being cordial, fighting to be be together is all about unity, about forgiveness, and about reconciliation. And it has become too easy for the church in America when we have anything go a little sideways and something comes in between us, what do we do? We head for the door and we go find another place to be in proximity to people. See, because as I said last week, the church has become so much about what's in it for me, not what do I bring. And when you have that kind of mentality, community has to go out the window. It's not the environment where community is fostered. Fighting to be together. Fighting for unity. There's a passage in Jude, the book of Jude. I don't know when the last time is you read the book of Jude. It's, it's one chapter. It's just one chapter. It's not even a long chapter. If you want to impress people, say, I read a whole book of the Bible today. And they say, what book? And you say, hey, Jude. Um, Jude, I'd say Jude 1, but it's Jude verse 12 to 13. There's a passage that's hidden here, and in studying for this message, I came across this, and I thought, I don't actually ever remember reading this before. I don't ever remember reading this before. Part of the reason is if you're doing a Bible reading plan and you skip a day and it's the day that Jude's on, you're not going to see it for a whole nother six months, (laughs) right? Here's here's what Jude is talking about. Um, There's these false teachers that have come into the church and he's characterizing what these false teachers look like. Listen to this. He says about them, these are hidden reefs at your love feasts. As they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves. Listen to this this characterization. Waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead and uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever. Ouch. 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 They're hidden reefs at your love feast. These are people that look the part. They come, and in, in, in the, I love the reference to the sharing of the meal. Eating together was a big part of the early church. I think it still should be for us, because there's something that happens in breaking bread. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a minute. But these guys are showing up, and these gals are showing up at these love feasts in a place where community is being built, but just below the surface, they're dangerous. Just below the surface, there's things that are going to bring destruction. They have a disastrous and dangerous agenda just waiting to be revealed. It says that, he says of them that they feast without fear. There's no concern and total disregard for the community because they're so self-focused. No concern whatsoever. And, and they don't even feel this, the pangs of any conviction which I know when I read my Bible it says that the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts of sin, which means that they've 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 rejected the Holy Spirit. They're not even open to the correction of the Holy Spirit. Their ideas are the things that are being fronted. There's no conviction or accountability going on in their lives. And then he uses those pictures: waterless clouds, fruitless trees, wild waves, right that you can't surf, right? They're just chop and wandering stars. You can't navigate looking at a wandering star, right? It's, it doesn't produce, it doesn't give light, it doesn't help you with navigation. All four of these things, he says, are useless, they're pointless, they bring nothing of value to the community, yet they think they're so important. Jude uses some really strong words here to illustrate How dangerous it is for those who bring division into the church. There is no place for division. Unity is not optional for us. Thrive Church, listen to me. Unity is not optional for us. Yeah, but you don't understand, no, that, that there is nothing. There is no scenario. There is no situation. There is no circumstance that can ever bring disunity in the body of Christ. Why? Because Jesus died on the cross. He shed his own blood and then resurrected so that we could walk in perfect unity. And so whatever excuse and reason we give doesn't hold water. Now we just got done with emotionally healthy spirituality and we can't disregard that there's an emotional toll and we have to deal with those things but we cannot throw our hands up and say you know what i just can't be in fellowship with that person unity is not optional as we read in 1 corinthians 12 god has composed the body given greater honor, honor to the part that lacked it so that there may be no division in the body that the members so that the members may have the same care one for another for one another That each of us is supposed to exhibit the same level of care for each other as you would for someone else. Let me unpack it this way. You can't care about one person more than you care about another person in the body of Christ because that's not an accurate representation of who Jesus has called us to be. Is that fair? Is it easy? No, it's not. It's not. But the Lord doesn't give us an option He's designed us and then actually says that he's built us and composed us in such a way that the weaker parts will receive the honor that they need. We're supposed to work well together. He says that we suffer together and we rejoice together. We've read this before. You've maybe heard this passage, right? Suffer with those who suffer, rejoice with those who rejoice. But, but, but notice there's an interesting little caveat here in the rejoicing side. If one member suffers, all suffer together. Fair enough. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That kind of changes things a little bit. See, because what I've heard over and over and over and over and over and over again in the church, growing up as a leader, as a pastor, is this. Why did that person get asked to do that and not me? What's so special about them that I don't have? And man, the enemy gets us all sideways. And rather than celebrating and honoring and rejoicing with someone who's being honored, we get offended. We get offended. And we start wondering, well... You know what? Maybe I'm not gonna stay at this church because they just don't recognize what I have to offer. They don't recognize the value I bring to this church. You're a reef. You're a waterless cloud, a fruitless tree, right? See, because it's about the humility. I as a pastor, I know I'm when people are like Lord, you know. The Lord's called me to do this. The Lord's called me to do that. I, w- I want to be a leader. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to watch your life. If you're married, I'm going to watch your marriage. Some of you guys in the room, you know, because I've sat down with you and go, you say you want to do this, but your life says otherwise. We need to work on this. And I've had some hard conversations with some of you. Because I want to tell you what you want to hear. I want to tell you what you need to hear. Right? Right? We need to be united so that when one member is honored, we all celebrate and don't get weird about it. See, disunity is a church killer. Disunity is a church killer. Why does church splits happen? Because of disunity. It's always, always, always. We're called to multiply, not fracture. Amen? Jesus said it this way, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. How will the world know that we're his disciples? Because I wear the t-shirt? Right? Oh, you must be a disciple of Christ. You have a Thrive Church t-shirt on. That's one of the reasons I get nervous about doing things like printing stickers and t-shirts. Right? Because then you're going to wear it. (laughs) And you're going to... And then you're going to put it on your car, and believe me, I'm in the same boat. Does our life line up? Does Does the love that we have, not outside, but the love that we have for each other... Reflect the love of Christ and the unity of the body. By the way, the Axe Church was growing like crazy, not because they had an amazing program or their, uh, their social media marketing person was like the best of the best, because that didn't exist, right? It was this community of people that were just loving each other. And by the way, most of them just met. And, they were, and, and there was something so attractive about what was happening that the Lord just kept bringing more people. Because he could trust them in this community because they were united. Do you hear what I said? God brought the people because he could trust the community with the people he brought. All right. We have to fight for unity at all costs. Let me back that up. You have to fight for unity at all costs. I'll tell you this right now. Our church is already too big for me to get into every person's life and help them reconcile their relationships with each other. This church is already too big for me to help you fix your friendship with the people sitting around you. I don't have enough time in my week. It's your job to fight for unity, not mine. I have to fight for unity in the relationships that I have and I want to make sure, and I'm watching our flock to say, okay, where are things going sideways? And where? And, and it's my job to make sure our leaders and our pastors are honoring the Lord in that area. But it's your job to fight for unity. See, we could have the most amazing resources, world-class programs, multiple campuses, ministry that extends to the end of the earth, missions teams going every week all over the, the, the globe. And it would amount to nothing if we were not united It would be of no value. We have to fight for unity. Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It is the responsibility of everyone who calls Thrive Church home to fight for unity. Amen? Amen. Second is this, enjoying life together. I told you I was going to spend a lot of time on that front one. And then we're going to move quickly through these last few. Enjoying life together. It's okay to have fun at church and with the church. In fact, I encourage it. If you're not having fun, something's not right. Now, I'm not talking about just surface. Oh yeah. No, it's not fake it till you make it. But there should be a joy that's just welling up inside of you, right? Grumpy Christians are an oxymoron and maybe less of the oxy. Um, Some of you will get that at lunch. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad. Everyone say glad. glad. Glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor. They were having a good old time. You ever been somewhere where there's someone close by who's having fun? Maybe you're at dinner somewhere, you're at a restaurant, and you're just you're just having a meal, and the people next to you are just having a blast. And you're just like, I want to go be a part of what it just sounds like I don't even know those people or what they're laughing about, but I just kind of want to get a little closer because that sounds like fun. This should be the church. People should just be like, those people have so much fun with each other. They're always smiling and laughing. And man, there's just this joy about them. Yeah, that should be us. We should enjoy being together. This is at the heart of fellowship. Enjoy each other, enjoying each other as we enjoy God. See, it's in this that we have the reflection of the triune God, the Trinity, because in the Trinity, there's this perfect unity there's this perfect enjoyment that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoy each other. And when we enjoy each other, we reflect the heart of God. For the early church, it was being in the temple, participating in the worship at the temple, and then they go home and have a meal. Every Sunday when we say, hey, invite someone to lunch. What I'm trying to say is, Go and break bread with someone and get to know them because when you sit and have a meal, you get to engage in community. You get to enjoy being with each other. Today, this afternoon, right after we're done here, we're going to Finkbeiner Park. First Sunday of the month, Family Worship Sunday. We started doing this a couple months ago. We go to Finkbeiner Park. Everyone picks up their own lunch. We don't do a church barbecue because someone has to get the barbecue out and go to Sam's Club. And you know what? Just get your own lunch. And then we go to the park, and here's what we do. Nothing. See, because our leaders and our, our pastors don't need to plan another event. I literally had someone come to me once uh, when I was pastoring in another church say, Pastor, I need you to schedule an event so that I can get to know the people in our church. <laughs> what? On the flip side, though, so much of our church calendars get so busy doing stuff that we forget there's actually people around us. I've served with you at like three or four different events, and I don't even know your name. Uh, No, 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 no. We live in community. So come to Finkbeiner Park. Go through a drive-thru. Get some sushi, whatever. We reserve some tables. We sit down. A football game might break out, right? Kids are running around playing on the playground, some, sometimes we play volleyball, sometimes we just sit and chat. Some people stay for 20 minutes, some people stay for four hours. No strings attached, just a place where we can be in community. Come join us. Third is this, growing together. It says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They didn't devote themselves to the apostles' cool personality. They didn't devote themselves to the apostles' amazing vision and agenda, right? Or, or, or what is becoming more and more common, oh, that church is just cool, that pastor is cool, I want to go to his church. said no one ever about this guy, I'm sure. But, right, I, I couldn't be hipster if I tried. This is not the basis for going to a church, people. It's about biblically Christ-centered Biblically based, Christ centered teaching. If it's not the Word of God, then we've got a problem. They devoted themselves to the Apostles' teaching. Why? Because these people realized that this would transform their lives and they were hungry for it. They hung on every word. And remember, they didn't have a worship team and they didn't have the Bible. What they had was the first-hand account of men and women who had walked with Jesus and just told the stories about what they learned from Jesus. And that became our New Testament. But they devoted themselves to it. Why? Because we are meant to have a catalytic effect in each other's lives. You are called to be a catalyst for growth in someone else's life. I asked someone once, Well, how's your time in the word going? My relationship with Jesus is my business. And I was like, Well, you just answered my question. Um, <laughs> See, because accountability is a part of community. And when, when, when we love each other, we, we love each other enough to have the hard conversations, not just the easy ones. Hebrews chapter 10, I referenced this last week. Let us consider t- how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Back in Hebrews, people didn't show up for church. But encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Can I just tell you, Jesus is coming back soon. And in the scope of eternity, the Cubs winning a World Series is nothing 108 years versus eternity, it's nothing. What's the priority of your life? Stir up one another. There's a few different translations that say it differently. The New Living Translation says, let us think of ways to motivate one another. The NIV, though, is my favorite. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. And I love that picture, right? The cowboy with the spur, and then he just kind of jams it into the horse. The horse is like, (laughs) oh, how many people are you spurring on? Oh, better question how many people are spurring you on? And, And by the way, when you get spurred on, what's your reaction and your response? See, because in the context of community, I can come to you and I can spur you on and you're going to say, well, thank you for that. I needed that because I was a little out of control. I was a little distracted. I was way off base. My attitude really stunk at that moment in time. For men to be able to get in the, the face of other men and say, hey man, the way you're talking to your wife is out of line. What's up with that church? I'm out. I'm out. Right? Who do they think they are? We're the body of Christ, and we're supposed to do that. But we just want to be comfortable. No, 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 no. Let's spur each other on. We're supposed to have a catalytic effect. In fact, if you know anything about science, a catalyst like, like heat, right? A flame is catalyst. It applies heat to whatever it is catalyzing. We need to warm things up, heat things up a little bit in our friendships and in our community so that we can grow. 1 Peter 4.8, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another, stewards of God's varied grace. We're supposed to grow together. And then finally this, by the way, that's why we have Thrive Groups. That's why we have journaling groups. That's why we create, try and create place where we can actually talk about the Word of God and encourage each other to grow. Finally is this, believing together. Let me ask you this morning, what are you right now believing God for? What are you believing God for? I believe that everyone in this room has something that they're trusting God for that they're crying out to God for, that they're asking God for? What are you believing God for? Follow-up question. Who's believing with you? Are you believing in silence, in the quiet of your own heart? Because if you are, you're not living in community. I'm saying air all of your laundry for the world to see, right? You know those people on Facebook who are like, I didn't need to read that, right? You should have just had a one on one with someone. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, there are things that you're believing God for, and you should believing with, be believing with someone, and someone should be believing with you. See, because every one of us will have a bad day. Anyone ever had a bad day? Right? Some of you, I'm like, I want to hang out with you more. You're way more. Some of you are like, yep, that's me. me do the wave. Every one of us has and will have a bad day. A day when our faith is shaken. A day when we feel alone or depressed or discouraged. A day when we're just sick. Where we get a a, a prognosis. Or a report about a family member. Or something happens in our finances and it's crushing. Every one of us will have a bad day. Who is believing with you? Who are the people that you've rallied? I know people, I talked to someone this week who's like, you know what, I, I rely and I, I build that community with my church because I can't have it with my, my, my real family. Because they don't believe the way I believe. And so I have to rely on those relationships in my church community because they help spur me on and encourage me. Luke chapter 5, verse 17 through 26, there's this story of a pa- paralytic man who he can't walk. He's lying on a stretcher, and I don't want to read the whole passage for the sake of time, but you've heard the story. And his friends come to where Jesus is at, and Jesus is talking with these Pharisees and these teachers, and there's a crowd, right? And imagine this room, wall-to-wall people, and so they show up at the door, but the door, people are spilling out the doors, and so there's no way for them to carry him in. So they go up on the roof, and just imagine right now that the, the tiles start being pulled back, right? And everyone stops. What's going on? And these guys, their friends, this guy's friends carry him up onto the roof, pull back the tiles, and then get some rope and lower him down in front of Jesus. That must have been awesome to see. And Jesus stops and he looks at the friends. And he's impressed. And he's impressed with their faith. And then he looks at the man who's obviously paralyzed and he says, your sins are forgiven. I'm sorry, Jesus, that's not what I actually came for. Like, you notice my legs. Just Your sins are forgiven because, by the way, Jesus knows what he's doing in your life. And, of course, the Pharisees, <gasps> you can't say that. Who do you think you are? And Jesus then uses the teaching moment. He uses the paralyzed man, not to single him out, but he uses him as an analogy or an illustration very practically of what his purpose is. Hey, what's easier, to tell him to get up to walk or to tell him his sins are forgiven? By the way, go ahead and pick up your bed and walk out of here, and the man did. But I love that moment. when He says he looked at his friends and he was impressed with their faith. Because of their faith, that guy was healed. In those moments when we get to come alongside of someone and be that friend, to be that person in their life who prays with them, encourages them, speaks faith and hope and life. That person who, when you just don't have it to give, comes alongside and says, I'll help you. I will help you believe when you can't. My prayer is that you have not just one friend like that, but that you have a community of friends like that. People that you can rely on in the darkest moments of your life. I hear this from people time and time again. Hey, I haven't seen you in church for a while. How are you doing? You know, I've just not been doing real well, so I didn't want to come to church and bother other people oh, that's not who we are. And if it, it, it breaks my heart to think that people's perception is I have to have it all together to even show up. Can I just ask you right now, the day that you wake up and you're like, the last place I want to be right now is in church, because I'm hurting, I'm alone, I'm angry, I'm irritable. Would you just please get up and come to church so we can love on you? So we can be a blessing to you, so we can speak faith. So not just what are you believing for, but who's believing with you. I told you I was going to end with a guy named Barnabas. We read about him. His name was really Joseph, but the apostles changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He's he's one of my heroes. In fact, he's probably outside of Jesus, because everyone has to say Jesus is their favorite. (laughs) Barnabas is my favorite person in Scripture because he constantly was thinking about other people and promoting them ahead of himself. And he was called the son of encouragement. See, him and and Paul, who at the time was called Saul, but we'll just call him Paul for lack of confusion. Paul gets saved, the bad dude, just a bad guy. And one of the first people that encounters Paul after his conversion is this guy Barnabas. When they go to Jerusalem, the apostles are freaked out. They're like, we want nothing to do with that guy. He's a bad dude. And Barnabas is the one who steps up and says, no, 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 no. He's the real deal. God has done something. You guys, you've got to see this. And Barnabas promotes him. Between Acts chapter 8 and 9, when we read about that, and then later on in Acts chapter 11, where Barnabas goes to Antioch to check out the church that's kind of sprung up there all of a sudden, the apostles send him and say, Barnabas, we need you to go find out what's happening because that's not a sanctioned church. We didn't start it. So we need to make sure it's okay. Barnabas shows up in Antioch and there's something happening and he realizes these are a bunch of Gentiles. And here's what's significant. It's 12 years later. Acts 9 to Acts 11 is 12 years. Barnabas has the opportunity to become the lead guy. I'm here from Jerusalem, and I am here to take control. Right? Barnabas doesn't go back to Jerusalem and bring a report. He doesn't stay for a long time. He stays for a while, kind of gets things settled, gets some structure, gets some order, and then he leaves, and he goes to Tarsus to find Paul, who's been hiding out for 12 years because his life was threatened in Jerusalem. He finds Barnabas. I mean, finds Paul. Doesn't know where he is. It says that he had to go to the city and try and find him. And when he finds him, I imagine the conversation looked something like this: "Paul, oh my goodness, okay, you remember, right?" And he probably Paul's heading like calm him down. Barnabas, speak slowly because I can't understand what you're saying. You remember when when we first met? Jesus told you that you were His chosen instrument to reach the Gentiles. You remember? You remember? Yeah, I was there. Um, It's happening. It's happening right now. It's down in Antioch. I've seen it with my own eyes. Paul, you need to come. You're supposed to be there because you're God's chosen instrument. It says they go back together. It's the first time that we're called Christians was in Antioch. The first missionary journey started out of Antioch. Because this guy Barnabas remembered a prophetic word or word that came from Jesus into someone else's life 12 years before. And when the moment presented himself, he did the work, paid the money, took the trip to go find the guy who was supposed to be there. Can I just tell you we're all supposed to be a Barnabas in someone else's life. And stop being so busy about promoting ourselves, promoting our agenda, promoting our ministry. I want to look so good and start thinking this way. Who can I come alongside and promote them ahead of myself? And it's in that way that the kingdom of God is built when we believe together. This is the most awesome community in the world. Cubs fans, sorry Jonathan, have nothing on Thrive Church. Nothing. Because we've got the best thing to live for. Jesus Christ, eternity, and each other. Next Sunday I'm going to talk about the last point, which is serving together. We're going to talk about ministry and team But I actually want to put this into practice this morning, this believing together. I invite Brian to come forward um, as we close. I know we're quite a bit over this morning, but Brian leaves for the nation of Haiti tomorrow. You have heard Brian come up and share a little bit about his vision to go and and have an impact globally, and tomorrow it becomes a reality. It's not his first trip to Haiti, but it's his first trip... Uh, with this ministry now formalized. And so Brian A.V. Mission is something that's coming together. There's partners and people who are saying, yes, we believe in what God's doing in you, and we want to stand with you. Uh, And as a church family, as your church community, and as your pastor, we want the opportunity to believe with you today for amazing things. Some of the things that Brian's looking for on this trip, uh, open doors for relationship, uh, to strengthen some connections, to build relationship with the, the orphanage director, Uh, and the work that he's doing, uh, to find some inroads into that community so that he can start then partnering and resourcing the work that's taking place. Church, listen to this. This is happening with someone who's a part of our community, a part of our fellowship. Isn't that awesome? Can I just tell you right now, I know God has similar dreams for so many of you. Maybe not to go to Haiti, but what's the dream that God put in your heart? Because I'd love for you to be up here one day for us to pray with you. But Brian, you're here right now. Would you stand with me this morning? I'm going to invite the worship team to come. Would you extend? We're doing a lot of extending of the hands today, which is good. Let's bless Brian. Um, Jenny, are you, you sitting together back there? Come on Would you come join us? Because we recognize you physically. You're going alone, but you don't go alone. And so we, uh, we cover your marriage and your family um, be praying for Brian. He'll, he'll be gone for about 10 days, nine days. So um, be praying for him, and then we'll, uh, we'll bring some reports and updates. So would you extend your hands? Father God, I thank you that right here in the midst of this body, that you are calling people just like Brian, just like Jenny, and their family to serve you, not just at home, but beyond, Lord God, beyond our borders, In other nations, and places, Lord, where it's not as safe. It's not as comfortable, not as easy. But the need is just as great. And so, Lord, we pray. We pray over Brian. We pray over his ministry. We pray over this dream that you've given him. God, we stand and we believe with him. We join our faith with his today. And we declare, Lord, that you will do amazing things. Lord, that the report that he brings back from Haiti would be just one that's like, you won't believe what happened. You won't believe the relationships that, that, that were established. You won't believe the doors that were open. And Lord, while, while we want to hear that kind of report, we want to believe in faith now that we will believe it because you're a good, good father. We pray over his family and for safety and protection and comfort while he's gone, Lord. We pray that as he's there, Lord, that you would go ahead of him, that you would be his guard to the front and to the left, to the right and to the back. God, that no harm would come to him, Lord. Only blessing. Only blessing, I pray. And we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray over this body, over this fellowship, over this koinonia, Lord, that the things that you've declared from your word over us today would take root, that they would stick. Lord, that we would be the church that you've called us to be. One body, joined together. Serving one another as we serve you. And we'll give you the glory through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.